Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, June 9th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law on this episode. We will observe Ellie De La Cruz week as he has now debuted for the Reds and is doing it by breaking StatCast and getting Cincinnati excited about more than Skyline Chili and Grater's Ice Cream again. So good news in Cincinnati. We'll talk about the Reds' <laughs> outlook and probably have some NL Central chatter in general. Alec Benoa who was discussed earlier this week on the Roundtable episode, has since been sent to the Florida Complex League to press the reset buttons. We'll talk about what might occur during that time for Manoa and when we could possibly see him back at the big league level again. The Yankees are going to be without Aaron Judge for a while, so we'll talk about what needs to happen there for them to keep their uh, position in the AL East battle. And baseball is weird, in case you haven't noticed, so I got a few surprises for the end of the show, time permitting as well. But I will point out... It's exciting. The most important thing, I'm going to burn myself to start the show, Keith. Last week Mm -hmm. on this very podcast, I said, I believe the Twins are a different team. They're a better team than other recent Twins teams we've seen. And should they make it to the postseason when they win the AL Central, they are more dangerous in October than they have been before. And they have not won a game since then. Remarkable. (laughs) Absolutely remarkable. You do the the. I'm doing the Sicilian curse thing with my hand. Not that I believe these things, but yes, like you put the whammy on them. I really did. So we may poke fun at that a bit more later on. But at least I had to get it out there. I had to get it off my chest because I feel bad about it. They are, uh, as we speak, a sub 500 first place team. Doesn't happen very often. Bias bias cat hates it clearly. Yeah, he um, that offends me like deeply like, to me. That is you, you want to have more teams in the playoffs. Look, I'm never going to love it. There should just be a thing, though. You got to win more than half your games or it goes to somebody else. Like that's just right. You can't limp into the playoffs with a. What, 79, 83 record? Nobody asked for that. If we get to the point where Major League Baseball has 32 teams, which will happen eventually. Five that's years, going to happen. 10 years. It's, it's going to happen. 
Yes. Do we go back to two divisions in each league, eight teams each? Is that the preferred format? There is no way they're going to do that. You know they're going to four-team divisions. Absolutely, they're going to four-team divisions. <laughs> I promise you. They would do two-team divisions if they could. There's no chance we're going back to that because it, like, I understand sort of a, it's, it's more of a marketing thing where you know, you just, you're in seventh place in early July. You're just toast, right? Mm-hmm. You're just completely out of it. And that's bad for business. I get it. You know, my baseball responses win more games, right? I mean, it's pretty, they made, they gave you a clear path. The start of the season, you knew what you had to do. You win about 90 games, you're going to go to the postseason. If you're in seventh place, you're probably not on on pace to win 90 games. And so you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that's the players or the coaching staff or the front office, whoever you want to apportion the blame to. You knew the job description, right? You got the memo. Mm -hmm. And sorry, try again next year. But you know, that means a lot of empty seats in August and September in a lot of stadiums. And that's not what owners want. And it's yeah, I accept that. But if we go to I absolutely believe we're going to have two more expansion teams. I think Manfred's tone has even changed on that recently where, look, once we get Oakland and Tampa Bay squared away, we'll expand because they can never turn down that money and they're going to get paid. And there are a couple of markets out there that are large enough to uh, support a team. I'm not even thinking just attendance, but it's really about market size for media, for TV and radio, um, streaming, really, not radio, TV and streaming um, together. Uh, you know, assuming they can get a public stadium, publicly funded stadium built in those places, which will always be the goal, but they're never going to turn down that money. And we're going to get 32 teams. And then at that point, we will see the four team divisions and someone is going to make the playoffs with 77 wins. Oh, that's just not the future that I was hoping for. Right. That's where that's my line. I'm not a purist at all. Like I've advocated for the pitch clock and for automated balls and strikes. I am not a purist. That's where. You, you, everybody has a line, right? You've you've hit mine with that. I am out on that. All right. Well, we'll stay in the Central. We'll go to the National League. We'll talk about the Reds. At least the Brewers and Pirates are above 500 as the top two teams in that division entering play on Friday. But the Reds are five back of the Brewers right now at 29 and 34. Ellie De La Cruz is up. We talked about him, I think, maybe two or three weeks ago. And at that time, you were not on the call him up now train. No. Uh, he was putting together a nice stretch over the course of May where he lowered that strikeout rate. And, you know, the first few days have gone exceptionally well. Reds had a really exciting walk-off win. Ellie's breaking stat cast the way that everyone expected him to. He's well on his way to becoming the mayor of Cincinnati. And he's only been there for a few days, which says a lot about just how likable he is as well. So clearly there is a, a lot of positive energy around this team, in addition to a mm-hmm. significant talent upgrade in one of those roster spots. Now that De La Cruz is in the big leagues. He's also punched out six times and 13 plate appearances. Like I, I just pumped the brakes a little bit. Like, I think this guy's got a chance to be a superstar, like best in the sport type of player. It may not happen right away. He's 21. He is what he can do well. He does better than anybody else, but, you know, as well as anybody else in the sport. He's gonna he's gonna struggle a lot with contact, and it might take him a while. I'm not even saying send him send him down necessarily. Um, he was destroying AAA, and obviously AAA. We've we've talked a lot about how the strike zone there is different now because of the ABS. Maybe that's not the best place to develop him. Fine. Have him up for the rest of the season. That's great. Recognize there's probably going to be a lot of 
ups and downs with him. There are going to be long stretches where he's not producing. He's got a lot of adjustments to make. That is nothing against what I think his long-term ceiling is. And I love the highlights. Like we should, we should be talking that like a, it should be a daily Ellie watch <laughs> because most of the time he's going to do something amazing. I guess this is some of his strikeouts are going to be pretty fantastic too, right? Like he is going to swing out of his shorts sometimes. And there's going to be some highlights of him missing a pitch by a tremendous amount, knocking himself over and okay, well, you know, it's what you get. It's part of the package. I will say like now the reds, I think they've pretty much called up everybody they might reasonably be calling up and Carnacion strand. Maybe at some point I have huge questions about his approach. He is nowhere near as ready, even as Ellie is necessarily, but like they've got McLean up and they finally called Andrew Abbott up. And now De La Cruz is up. We're getting there. The system had a decent amount to offer McLean. You have a huge comeback this year too, um, which has been surprising after he was really not good last year, but they've got, you know, they're, that's a pretty interesting, fun, young Reds club now that I mean they're they're not out of it. I understand they're a few games below 500, but it is not out of the question that they'd be good enough at least to stay in this in the wild card race deep into the season. It's going to be because they're finally giving some chances to young players. Like I I love it. And they've had a few guys that have played better than I expected him to. Spencer Steer. I was just gonna say, you know, what yeah. kind of season was he going to have with every day of playing time at the big league level. And yes, we talk about this all the time. Great American Ballpark helps boost power, but he's putting together sure. a really well-balanced offensive season. 286, 365, 482 mm-hmm. through 60 games. That's fantastic. Props to Aaron Gleeman. He was a big he was a big Spencer Steer fan. He was a Twins prospect. Obviously, he was in the Tyler Molly trade, I think. Mm-hmm. I got to give Aaron credit. He was he was higher on Spencer than I was and so far, I mean, I know it's half a season, but so far so good. Um, I am, you know, I think he's got a chance. I know he's played a good bit of first base. I don't think that's where he needs to be long-term. Um, like, I think he can help it third or second, and they're going to have some problems here. Like they have actually more guys than they need for all these spots. But for now, while they've got the need at first base, he's productive enough to handle it. And I think eventually he's going to be, eventually he'll be second or third. And then his overall value will be higher. Like I'm saying, if you're just looking kind of at his, any sabermetric rep evaluation of him, it's going to probably run him down because he's mostly playing first. He's a better player than that. That's what I'm sort of rambling towards. When I look at this team, I wonder if they're going to win the NL Central this year, which is not out mm-hmm. of the question. Again, five games back in the early part of June, you're absolutely in the mix. It's going to require a lot from the pitching staff. I mean, they've had a pretty disappointing run from Graham Ashcraft recently, who would be pretty important to them. We talked about yeah. Brandon Williamson a few weeks ago when they brought him up. It's hard to rely on him for much. Ben Lively's in that rotation right now. That's where it starts to really break down is the back end of the rotation, especially. Like, we all love Hunter Green. And if Nick mm-hmm. Lodolo's healthy, I don't think there are questions about him being at least a good mid-rotation or at least back-end quality starter. But the, the depth they're tapping into right now on the pitching side is a clear weakness. Yeah, I, I actually think Lively could be a good fifth starter for them. Um, he's pitched really well for them so far, and it's a lot of strike throwing. You could, he's going to give up some home runs, especially in that ballpark. That's kind of who he's always been. Um, you know, if he's your five, that's fine. I think right now the problem is they've basically they're looking for twos and threes. I'm really hopeful that Andrew Abbott can step in and be kind of league average. Um, I thought he got squeezed in that one outing the other day, but stuff looked great. You know, he missed some bats. He avoided any real hard contact. 
his stuff ticked up so much this year. This is a guy who's always had feel to pitch, but he was kind of the crafty lefty type and picked up almost a full grade, I think, of velocity over last year. And then combined with the deception and the delivery, the secondary stuff, the huge um, vertical break he's got on the fastball. This guy already had a lot of things working for him, just with limited ceiling. Now the ceiling looks a lot higher because the quality of the stuff, particularly the velocity, is ticked up. You know, maybe he is a three for them for the rest of the season. Just lead, They just need league average pitching. This, I think this team's going to score plenty of runs. But right now they've got you know, Hunter Green can give them league average work. You hope Abbott can. And then, I don't know, like, Lodolo, was Lodolo bad because he was hurt? Or was he bad because this guy's always had trouble getting right-handed hitters out? And teams were just loading up on righties against him, and he needs to find another pitch for that. I don't think Williamson is a solution. I don't think Luke Weaver, who's always been homer prone, now you got him in a bad ballpark for that. He's not really the answer. They don't have good three, four, five options even beyond actually let's just say four or five even if you just say green abbott lively are the three starters you can really count on then it's a whole lot of question marks yeah i think the question i have for you about andrew abbott is you know beyond the the four seamer and the curveball he threw those pitches about 80 to 83 percent of the time he also threw a changeup and a sweeper in the debut do you like mm-hmm. either one of those pitches enough to be a reliable third, or do you see him as a guy that's going to be pretty dependent on those first two offerings? I always liked his changeup. I saw him in college. He was at UVA at least twice. I might have seen him three times, actually, just sort of kept matching him up with people. And I thought he, he, he could always spin it. That wasn't really the concern. And the fastball seemed to play reasonably well. UVA did some, they, they do not have a great track record with pitching development. So I also thought this was a guy, if you just get him out of Charlottesville, there's probably more in there. Now, I didn't mean velocity wise, the velocity jump was the surprise, but just sort of loosen up the delivery, change the pitch selection a little bit, and you might get better results. And I do think we we have been seeing that. I always thought he had a good enough changeup. To be, to be a true starter. And that kind of fit the profile also, where it's like, hey, he's a lefty with, that's not elite velocity. It's going to be a lot of 89, 91, but he can change speeds on you. He hides the ball pretty well. He's got enough of a breaking ball to get lefties out. I thought that was, the changeup was clearly part of the package. I, my understanding is all these pitches have kind of improved in to some degree over the last two years some more than others. Obviously, the fastball is just a different pitch at the current velocity level. I think he's going to have to use the changeup more, but I also think it's a good enough pitch already that he'll be able to do so right away. And then then what we should see is the pitch mix just basically varying depending on the handedness of the opposing lineup. He's going to do... I mean, it's going to be the same thing. Teams are going to try the same thing with him that they were doing to Lodolo. Get all your righties in the lineup and just force him to make some kind of adjustment. I actually think Abbott's got the better chance to do that because he's got more deception. And I think the changeup is a, is a good enough pitch, whereas Lodolo's changeup is a non-factor. It, Abbott has one. I mean, actually, Lodolo barely even throws one. Abbott has one, and I think it's good enough. Yeah, it's huge for the Reds if Abbott can pitch as well as, mm-hmm. as you're hoping here because they need it. Uh, they need it immediately, and he appears to be big league ready. I thought he looked good in that debut. Did seem like he got squeezed a little bit. It was against the Brewers team. It's been awful against lefties this year, and they've got plenty of mm-hmm. righties to mix and match. Like their their struggles through the first two months and change against left-handed pitching are very odd. Uh, something to dig into probably more on a future episode. It could just be a small sample. That's part of the problem when you take a lefty split for two months. Yeah, not that much data to work with. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Going back to Ellie for a minute, looking at projections, we know projections can be pretty noisy, especially with guys making their debut. For Ellie, they might be about as noisy as they can be for anybody. <laughs> Derek Cardi's system, the Bat-X, is one that incorporates a lot of StatCast data, so that's usually the more optimistic set of projections when you're talking about guys that can do ridiculous StatCast things. All this is to say, over-under, rest-of-season home runs, Ellie De La Cruz, the projections have him at 12 home runs. Are you over or under on that? I'll actually take the over on that. Over on the 12 homers. I'm over on 12. Given how hard he hits it, where he's going to play half his games, obviously. And with what I even recognizing what I believe about the approach, like, I don't think the swing and miss is going to hold down the homers or even the extra base hits. It's just it, his batting average is what's going to suffer and thus his on base percentage too. But when he gets when he hits something, he's going to hit it hard. There's going to be high quality contact. You might be looking at a, it's not exactly Joey Gallo. And I hate that we compare everyone to Joey Gallo because Joey Gallo is kind of the one guy who's made that three true outcomes formula work from time to time. But it's sort of like that in the sense that, yeah, he's going to, he's going to strike out too much, at least this year. But when he gets a hold of one, it's going to go really far and probably really fast. I think the player I keep comparing De La Cruz to from a physical perspective is O'Neill Cruz because they're both Cruz. Oh, large humans absolutely. that do ridiculous stat cast things. And they, they both yeah. have swing and miss concerns. We saw Cruz come yep. up last year and strike out about 35% of the time, but he was popping the ball really well. 17 homers in 87 games, 10 steals. I think Ellie's even a notch above O'Neill Cruz in terms of the raw tools where think the floor is even higher than that. Just a little bit. It's more like a 250, yeah. 320, 480 sort of slash line, even if the strikeouts are a concern. And if the strikeouts improve over time, always a possibility. It, mm-hmm. As you said before, the limit is like best player in baseball eventually. Like that's the type yeah, right? of raw talent he has to work with, which is really exciting. I agree with you. I was probably always a little too low on O'Neill Cruz because of positional questions and because he's six seven, right? I I talk about this all the time. But there, six seven is the it might be beyond the upper bound of what makes a successful big leaguer. Other than Aaron Judge, there's only a couple of examples in history of guys that tall who position players that tall who've had any kind of sustained success. And the number one reason is the strike zone. The strike zone is huge. I mean, Ellie is six. Five. I think he's probably a better athlete than O'Neill Cruz, which is, I, I mean, I am thin slicing this here. <laughs> but, you know, if you got to pick one, right? Him or him. There's a lot of 80s on both their scouting reports. I think Ellie's a little better. Ellie's tools are a little bit better. I think he's a better athlete. And the fact that he is 6'5 and not 6'7, 
definitely makes me more optimistic about him controlling the strike zone and finding a better place to play. I don't know if Ellie's a shortstop. He'd be one of the tallest shortstops in Major League history also. Um, we have seen taller players hang out, hang out at shortstop. Corey Seager, I think, is 6'3", but everyone seemed to think he was going to end up moving off shortstop going back to high school, and he never had to. Um, so it's possible he'll stay at short. I think Ellie, basically anywhere he plays, the, we all think the bat's going to profile. It's just getting him to a spot that maximizes his defensive value too, because he's kind of cannon for an arm and he is athletic enough. He should be able to play pretty much everywhere. I mean, the easiest thing to do is look at him, look at O'Neill Cruz and say, just stick him in center. I would want to exhaust the dirt first for Ellie. Maybe it's not short, but he might be really, really good at third. And I understand they have too many guys, but Ellie is the one you, you sort of plan everything around, right? He is, there's a pretty good chance he's the best player on your team in like a year and and thus and then for as long as he's in your uniform he is the best player on your team so figure out what's the best place to play him and then figure everybody else out after that if that makes sense absolutely now i think the things that i like about what the reds have done this season both with ellie de la cruz and matt mcclain is they've just called them up played them where they want to play them and hit them in the spot in the order where they feel like they will contribute the most ellie de la cruz debuted in the cleanup spot he started two games at third, one at short so far since the call-up. Matt McClain's been basically the regular number two hitter for most of the time that he's been it. up. I mean, it's just, if you're going to bring a guy up, play him play him where he makes your team better. Don't mm-hmm. don't hit him seventh. That's ridiculous. So many teams go down that path, and I've never fully understood why. What's the uh, line, the good, bad, and the ugly? You're going to shoot, shoot. Don't talk, <laughs> right? You're going to call this guy up? Play him. Don't yeah. talk about it. Don't bench him half the time. I mean, I saw Cubs fans. This is not the same level of prospect, but Cubs fans on Twitter have been freaking out. Like, why do we have Morell and Mervis up, but they're not playing? And I kind of agree. Either send them down or play them. And this is a, you know, this is different because it's a much higher level of prospect. Obviously, we're talking about here with McLean and De La Cruz and even Steer, for that matter, you could put in there. But I give the Reds a ton of credit that they're just, I think they've been appropriately aggressive. I would have called up Andrew Abbott a while ago. But other than that, they're being appropriately aggressive with all of these guys and calling them up and playing them and giving them some consistency. I don't think lineup order matters a ton, but hitters will often say it's just good to have, like, this is generally where I hit in the order, the same that it's, like, generally good that you're playing the same position most of the time do that put these guys in a position to succeed you just set them up for success and then maybe in the long term you can start making some other changes oh we're going to have you try to play two positions frequently instead of just exclusively one but as you're trying to get guys to adjust to the majors hitting major league pitching is enough of adjustment and adjustment maybe don't try to experiment too much and it seems like the reds i'm just inferring but this seems to be their philosophy with these guys I'm on board with it. I like it. And I'm much more excited about watching the Reds today than I was six weeks ago. So good for them. Honestly, if Green or Abbott is pitching too, they're top of the list of teams I want to watch because now you've got, you know, no matter who they're playing, you want to see the guy on the mound. I'll always want to watch Hunter Green. There's never a point where I wouldn't want to watch him. And multiple guys in the lineup you want to see. That's fun. And if I'm, I'm a Reds fan, like they haven't been fun for a couple of years. This is good. Part of the thing about their whole rebuild was that I thought they were pretty quick to go into it, but that may have been part of why it didn't take that long. If you exhaust every last opportunity with a core of players that you have, then you end up with players that other teams don't want via trade. 
they had players with years of control left. They had players that could do all sorts of different things that other teams actually wanted, right? So they could trade mm-hmm. a Sonny Gray. They could trade a Luis Castillo. They traded Jesse Winker. They traded Tyler Malley. And they had a lot of pitching they were willing to trade. And that's never a bad thing. But I think because they tore it down a little earlier, instead of making one more run in the NL Central with the players they had, it didn't take as long to come back and they're able to get better players back in the return, which part of that is scouting the right guys and having the right guys. Like you have to give them credit mm-hmm. for being so right in many of these deals so far. Like the, you look up and down the guys they promoted, even the guys they haven't have overwhelmingly had a lot of success since they were acquired. Yeah, they've done a pretty good job. They've done a, I, you know, I've said for years, I think they're one of the best drafting teams in baseball. And God, McLean and Abbott were both that same draft, the 2021 draft. So their first, first, pick overall. And then Abbott was their second round or fourth picks. They had some extra picks um, are both already in the big leagues and look like in the big leagues to stay. That's already pretty good. Yeah. And I agree. They've done reasonably well in the trades. They haven't all been hits and there's supposedly they could have had Bryce Miller instead of, I think it was instead of Brandon Williamson. I've heard that rumor from a couple of people. So there've been some, obviously you, you make some of those mistakes, but in general have done a nice job of getting talent back in. I think part of that is you're right. I think they were aggressive about going into that rebuild and getting themselves and getting more total talent back. Noel Marte, by the way, has looked very, now I know he's out with a hamstring injury, but he's looked pretty good so far this year. He's another guy who's going to be man in search of a position. I think he can handle third base. He ain't passing Ellie. So they could end up in a situation, in a situation with Ellie, Noah Marte, whatever you think of Encarnacion Strand, he's going to play in the big leagues for somebody. They might have a like a whole st- – oh, and Cam Collier, who's three, four years away at least, he's 18, is also a third base. So at some point they're going to want to maybe deal from that little surplus. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if the Reds got into a month from now, if the Reds are still you know, two, three games out of the wild card and could say, you know what, we're going to trade some of this extra infield depth, not Ellie, some of these other guys, go get another pitcher. Yeah. yeah, doesn't have to be a rental. Doesn't even have to be a star. A guy who's just like close to league average would make a huge difference for them, and I don't think do any damage to their long term rebuild and make the team more interesting, more fun to watch, and give give another give people another reason to come to the ballpark. Similar to the depth that the Orioles have built up, where they have all these guys who are knocking yes. on the door, ready to play in the big leagues. You can't play them all. You have a need in the rotation. It's not even about this season. It's about the next few seasons just getting some yeah. more balance. Oh, my God. Poor Jordan Westbrook. What the heck does that guy have to do to get up to Baltimore? He must be like, really? Really? 29 other organizations, I'd probably be in the big leagues. And I'm with the team where I'm like, he's like fifth on the middle infield depth chart. Jordan Westbrook's really good. He is a top 100 prospect. He would be a he would be starting for almost every team in baseball at this point somewhere because he could play multiple positions. And the poor guy is just absolutely buried really is uh gotta think the trade deadline will help us answer that question and a few others and then christian encarnacion strand yeah there might be some questions about you know how much he'll strike out at the big league level or there's problems like that but he is having a great year at triple a so far just absurd 15 homers in 40 games 413 power 706 slug you have to see what he can do you have to have a spot to do it and that's actually the problem that the reds are already facing plus Joey Votto's on his rehab assignment. So there's another guy that's going to be back in the fold oh, yeah, sooner guy. rather than later yeah. that is going to at least play sometimes. Maybe you're not going to play Joey Votto every single day anymore, 
but he's still going to play a lot and you have to figure out how those pieces sure. are all going to fit. So complicated, but a good problem for the Reds to have. Keith, let's talk about Alec Manoa. The Blue Jays decided to send him to the Complex League in Florida. Really just a full reboot. And I yeah. think even if you had some concerns about Manoa taking a step back, despite the success he had in 21 and 22, there's no way you could have expected something like this. Like No one saw this coming. And I looked into it a little bit and saw that Alec Manoa is one of the slowest tempo starters in the big leagues, both last year before the pitch clock and this year with the pitch clock. And clearly the stuff is not playing the same way. He seems to be healthy, which is good, right? The pitch clock does break a lot of guys physically. And he pitched a lot last year. You always work. You, you don't predict it, but you worry, right? Well, you worry when you see a guy who pitches a lot and then comes out the next year and he's not the same. The first thing I think is what's wrong. Yeah, because he jumped 85 innings from 21 to 22, just in terms of major league innings. I guess it was a smaller gap mm-hmm. if you count a little bit. He threw a triple A in 2021. But we're talking about a guy who has a career 319 ERA, 115 whip, nearly a strikeout per inning, and is just 25 years old. And now he's in Florida pressing the reset button. And it sounds mm-hmm. like he's going to be away for at least two turns to the rotation. So 10, 14 days, roughly, at least, before he gets a chance to possibly go back up. What do you think the Blue Jays are trying to do with Manoa during this time? Is it finding a pitch again? Is it just giving him some space to kind of clear his head and not have to go out there every fifth day and, and work through the struggles like in the midst of a, a battle in the AL East? What's the ultimate process and, and what's the the hopeful, like the most realistic hopeful outcome for Manoa trying to make these adjustments in what appears to be a few weeks? Yeah, and I would be surprised if it was just two turns of the rotation. Like I think you are just not rushing this guy back given how important he is, what he what he means to the team's chances of contention also this year and going forward. Like a a broken Alec Manoa isn't doing anybody any good. His velocity is down a bit from last year. His slider has been nowhere near as good as it was last year. Again, these are things that make me worry something's physically wrong. Everyone says he's fine. I hope that's true. Like I never want to see a guy get hurt. It's just always my first thought when though either of those two things happens even independently velocity down or a pitch like a slider is just suddenly not there we talked about this i think we talked about this with chase dollander in the draft this year kid at tennessee who came into the year who's supposed to be the top college pitcher in the draft class he got passed by paul skeens anyway but dollander's slider is just not there it was a plus pitch last year and it's not even close this year and he's not hurt as far as we know but it's just always the first thing i think of I, so my guess is what are the Blue Jays doing? One, giving him a mental break. Two, trying to figure out if there's anything physically wrong or delivery related that might explain some of these things. You know, I wonder if he's, you said he was a slower tempo guy. The pitch clock gives pitchers less time to recover between pitches. For some guys, that's going to mean reduced velocity, or it's going to require more effort to get to the same velocity, which is not good. And Dr. Mike Son had published some stuff years ago arguing we were likely to see a few more injuries as a result of the pitch clock if pitchers did not learn to back off because they are losing recovery time between pitches. I don't know if that's the case with Manoa. These are just hypotheses I'm throwing out there, things I think that the Blue Jays are probably going to be looking at with him. It is so much easier to do any of this stuff in a guy with a guy in what is essentially a lab environment versus trying to do it in big league games when you're trying to win, you're trying to contend. 
have them go down there, reassess, see if any of these, if you can find an explanation for any of what's going on, right? You're trying to find the root cause. And especially if he's healthy, well, what exactly is going wrong? Why are the pitches playing down? Why is the velocity down? Was the slider not breaking anywhere near as much? What is he doing differently versus last year? Yeah, the results on that slider, wildly different so far this year than last year. So hitters are all yeah. over that pitch, and that was not the case upon arrival with Manoa. The Jays' pitching depth is a little banged up right now. They still have Hinjin mm-hmm. Ryu coming back uh, from elbow surgery, so he's not really ready to contribute anytime soon. You know, I think at one point, Mitch White sort of looked like an extra starter for them. He's at least healthy, mm-hmm. so maybe they'll try to stretch him out yeah, again. He just came- they just activated him and DFA Anthony Bass. What a shame. So sad. <laughs> Couldn't happen to, to a nicer guy. Yeah. Ricky Tiedemann's been hurt as well with the biceps injury. Yeah. He was supposed to start a throwing program in late May. I haven't really seen much as far as an update on him since then. So they're in a little bit of a tough spot. That might be the one factor that gets them to take a look at Manoa a little sooner than they would otherwise. It's just not mm-hmm. having that next starter that they really like at the ready to fill in that fifth spot. Fortunately for them, Kevin Gossman's been great. Chris Bassett, after a yep. slow start, is pitching well again. Jose Barrios looks like the pre-2022 guy. Yes, that's the best, the happy story, right? Yeah. I, I was hearing the Blue Jays were trying to dump his contract last winter, and now he, hey, we got the old Jose Barrios back. This is great. I could never figure out what was wrong with him in the first place. Nothing really looked different and nothing really looks that different now. And he's kind of back to the career levels with an ERA slightly better than his overall career mark. But this is fine. If if this is who he's going to be in the middle of that rotation, the Jays will take that and happily try to solve their other problems. Yep. They have a legit ace in Gossman and they have two above average starters behind him and then a little sort of panoply of other guys to fill in the last couple of spots. And, you know, you hope Manoa gets back to that at some point, but they have some other guys who can fill in. They're a little short. I agree with you. Like, I mean, I think they probably thought slash hoped that Tiedemann would be able to to get into that mix somehow before the year was out. That seems kind of unlikely at this point. And unfortunately, like Jasper Zulueta, who somebody talked about it, either as a starter or maybe as a reliever, he's been really bad in AAA so far this year, particularly he's not throwing strikes. It's elite stuff. Um, he just hasn't been able to, uh, yeah, you've got to throw at least some strikes, I would say. I, I'm going out on a limb here, but I think you got to throw some strikes to come pitch in the majors. But he was a guy who I think might have been a depth arm for them, and he has struggled. You know, Hayden Younger, they actually moved to the bullpen, was a guy I thought maybe could be a fifth starter for them. They're just lacking that anybody who's better than an up and down candidate for them, right? They've got a lot of those guys who can be the starter for a couple of, you know, a turn or two, but nobody who's going to make an impact, who's going to push them towards a playoffs. I think that's the one thing they're looking for. Fortunately, it's probably an easier thing to address if they get into mid-July and like, what we really need is a fifth starter. You can, you can usually get those guys. They're not trying to find an ace. And going back to the NL Central for a minute, I just think about what has happened to the Brewers so far this year with Brandon Woodruff having only made a couple starts, Eric Lauer being mm-hmm. on the IL right now, Ashby being hurt all year, Wade Miley going down. They've got to the point where Adrian Hauser, who was supposed to move to the bullpen this year, is basically their third best healthy starter. And they're running yeah. Colin Ray and Julio Tehran out there as temporary starters. It's worked so far. And you know, you know when you're relying on guys like that, if it's running well, 
more likely than not, that's not going to continue. But having depth like that that comes in and, and gets it done, it, half the time you can't even figure out why it's happening. If it's just good luck and you just happen to catch the right starters for the right span of six to eight starts and then you're just so happy you stayed afloat. Some teams yeah. don't even have guys like that to turn to, though. So they don't have those veterans that have been in the league for eight years or ten years that they can just throw out there for five innings and, and at least limit the strain on the bullpen. It's one thing to go out there overmatched by the other team's starting pitcher, like to be in a complete mismatch situation where you're a huge underdog. It's right. another to drain your bullpen after having that starter leave the game after two or three innings, and then you're messed up for future days. That's the thing you're trying to avoid. The best thing you can do if you're not going to be an effective depth starter is at least chew up innings while you're out chew there. Chew up innings. Yep. I, hey, I am a big, big believer in... And I think more teams are doing this now, but with this was out of fashion for 20 plus years is the old, the, the idea of the the mop up guy, the guy who just like your job is to just come soak up innings where we're losing 10 to two come throw the last three innings. So we don't have to burn the bullpen. Like you need guys like that. And that mop up guy can be a developmental guy where you're saying, look, at some point we think you're a starter, but this is how we're going to work you in. This was a, a huge Earl Weaver thing. It, he mentioned in his books, he actually and he, he practiced what he preached he loved to bring up pitching prospects to work in the bullpen and have them do some mop-up duty for a while before actually putting them into the rotation. We don't really do that a ton anymore, but I'm A, a huge fan of that, or B, a fan of saying, well, we're going to develop this. We don't think this guy is more than like a fifth starter in the majors. Maybe we'll develop him as a mop-up guy or some sort of swing man where the expectation is you're coming in and throwing three innings worth. You're going to go turn over the lineup once to try to soak up some innings because otherwise you end up with position players pitching or the situation you just described where it's great game one we just burned six guys in our bullpen and now we're screwed for the rest of the series yeah and the teams that manage their 40-man roster really well always have guys with options they can send up and down right you think of the Rays mm-hmm. Yanni Chirinos not a guy that they want in the rotation constantly but he's up and down for them comes in throws a decent number of innings goes back to Durham comes back a few weeks later that's just managing the roster to the best of your ability. Other teams do yes. it well also. Uh, but the alternative, having to go with those older guys that you can't send down, it's just like, this is it. This is all we've got. <laughs> we need yeah. we need at least four innings from Tehran today. And if it doesn't work out, we're in trouble tomorrow as well because our bullpen isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, and Julio Tehran has had a pretty strange career. He's only 32, which is surprising. Which is amazing, right? Broke in when he was 20. And I was looking back, his final season with Atlanta... It was a 381 ERA, a 132 whip. That was the year of the rabbit ball back in 2019. Seems like forever mm-hmm. ago. It was still striking guys out. At that point, walks had become more of a problem. They were a problem for him in 2018 as well. In the shortest yeah. season, the pitch for the Angels was brutal. It wasn't striking guys out. Still had walk issues. I think he made one start for the Tigers in 2021. And now he's back with the Brewers. And he's, again, being only 32. Maybe there's still something left in the tank. It, it's just the stuff seemed to fall off a cliff between 2019 and 2020. And it was so surprising that yeah, it just wasn't going to come back. Yes. I mean, that's what happened, right? It was just, he showed up the next year and it was gone, right? It was just, he got old before his time, right? It's the kind of thing you'd associate with a 35 year old, right? Where just, they just show up. I mean, I remember it was Roy Halliday's last year, which mirrored funny enough, Pat, Pat Hankins last year when he was with the Blue Jays. I remember Halliday making fun of Hankin kindly because uh, he obviously looked up to him but still like we were sitting in the clubhouse in Fenway 
I don't even know why I was in the clubhouse at this point. It was probably just either too hot or too cold outside. And a bunch of us were sitting in there and how it wasn't holiday pitching. Anyway, a, a position player came in to pitch for the Red Sox. I think it was Dave McCarty and he was throwing 85. And that's how hard Hankin was throwing at that point too. And Halliday, Halliday just turns to Hankin and points up at the screen and Hankin doesn't say a word and just gives him a finger. <laughs> but it was one of those like, and Hankin was great. He was a pro's pro the whole way. And he ended up just walking away. He's like, it's, it's clearly it's not coming back, but I mean, it was a great example of a guy who was perfectly fine the year before and he just was just done. I thought that was kind of what happened with Tehran. It's just weird because he was, wasn't he like 30 at this point? Yeah. And it was just, it looked like it was done. He wasn't the kind of starter who was overpowering at his peak either. Like he, I, I just thought he'd be the kind of pitcher that would age really well and have a productive career into his mid 30s. So maybe, maybe this is the beginning of that. I don't think it is, but so far he's been really sharp in a couple of starts for the Brewers and. If it continues, they need it because Woodruff's still a few weeks away from coming back and Ashby might not come back at all this year. So they're in a bit of a yep. rough spot, even though they're atop the NL Central. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about the Yankees just for a bit. Aaron Judge has that toe injury. I thought that was the kind of injury, I'd, you know, re-watching that, that clip a few times, I was like, you know, why is the field kind of like a sunken in living room with this concrete <laughs> slab that you can kick uh, at the at the foot level but you know structurally stadiums are old sometimes and things are just built the way they are he's not wearing a walking boot which i think is good even though walking boots aren't inherently bad i think it just means they think he can get by without it for a few days and and possibly return relatively soon but they're not putting a timetable on this and it's like that yankees lineup it's so top-heavy because Judge is so ridiculously good. No one person has to play at Judge's level when he's gone. You just need all of your secondary contributors or some combination of them to play a little bit better. But this is a Yankees team that has a lot of the same flaws it's had in recent years. When things are not going well, it's all mm -hmm. the same questions that pop up. So 
what are you doing if if you're looking at this team seven weeks now ahead of the trade deadline? What needs to change between now and the final two months of the season to address some of those weaknesses? Yeah, and it's it just feels like they were two. I mean, obviously they're still ten games over five hundred, right? They're not. It's not a disaster team. I know the Yankees are in third place, obviously, but they're winning plenty of games. It's just they they did seem to rely a bit too much on a small number of players, which has not typically been the Yankees. Yankees have always had stars, but they've had depth. You think of the good Yankees teams of the last 25 years, their lineup's often been scary. And man, just pulled them up. One, two, three, four, five guys who are playing regularly for them. I guess it depends on whether you count Bader or not, but four guys who are playing regularly for them with sub 300 on base percentages. And Bader hasn't played a ton, but he's also sub 300. Kiner Falefa is down to 275. He never, he can't hit. Higashioka, same. They're just, they are not putting enough guys on base. When was the last time you've been able to say that about a Yankees team, about a Yankees lineup? Right? They've, this is the, oh God, the Yankees. It's a three and a half hour game because they take so many pitches. They get so many guys on base. They're not that team. Uh, and they are not a good enough run prevention team to overcome that either. That is, you know, it's a double whammy where, you know, obviously Garrett Cole has continued to be excellent. Um, they've gotten some okay work from Clark Schmidt. I think there's better, there are better days coming from him. I would definitely hang with him. And I'm glad that they have done so, so far, maybe it's been out of necessity, but I like Clark Schmidt. I think he can, if he can hold up health-wise, I think he's, he can be an average starter, but Severino has not looked great since he came back. Nestor Cortez now on the IL, but he hasn't been, he hasn't been anywhere near as effective as last year. I mean, they had to give starts to Johnny Brito and it's not like, you know, this guy was not on my Yankees prospect list coming into the year. I don't think he was on anybody's, but that is a sign of sort of how their depth has become challenged in a way that I think has not been true. Maybe since Cashman took over as GM depth is usually, they've usually had guys they've usually been able to cover. Um, and I think this probably extends a little bit into last year with the pitching staff, but now it's really showing on the offensive side too, where they are just lacking alternatives when guys are struggling or hurt. And they're so dependent on a fairly small number of players to keep them afloat. If Judge is out for an extended period of time, this is this is a bad lineup at that point without him. Yeah, I mean, right now they're getting a lot out of Jake Bowers, which is probably a hitter equivalent to the Brewers getting really high quality innings from Julio Tehran. You say, okay, how long is this going to last? And even with Bowers right. providing some pop, it's with a 32.6% strikeout rate. And yeah, you just wonder, it's like, is this just a, a good month or is there actually something here? They've done it before. They've found good depth players before that have emerged. Oh, to God, take remember they used and, to do that? I mean, Urshela was one of the first ones. Yes. Freaking Aaron Small goes there. And this is like 20 years ago and has the, the three months of his life for the Yankees. That's a thing. Willie Calhoun's That's been kind thing. of a league average yes. bat, but he doesn't have a lot of defensive value. It's guys like DJ LeMahieu. I'm a little surprised he hasn't been better to see a strikeout rate up at 27%. That's yeah. not a good sign at all for him. That's not him. It's not the DJ LeMahieu we expect. And I'm sure every projection system had him hitting for more average and with a higher contact rate. Right. When he's been healthy, and it's only been 17 games, John Carlos Stanton hasn't quite been Stanton. So that's been a problem. Mm-hmm. Bader's been hurt a lot and isn't necessarily a good OBP guy in the first place. Glaber's been just a little above league average, always a source of frustration because he could be better than that. He could be 25 or 30% yeah. better than league average instead of 8% how, better. How old do you think Glaber Torres is? 26. Well, yeah. But like, doesn't it seem like he's older than that? Like, he's been around a long time. He was up young. 
it's the downside of getting up to the big leagues young. People think you're older yeah. than you are and start think, to right? start to write you off. But he could he could still get better. He's the one guy on that offensive side where I'm like, yeah, this is this is probably more than you thought coming in. Yes, I agree. He should be better. I always thought he'd be better. Had him ranked really high as a prospect. I was a huge fan. I loved his approach. Um, I thought he was very talented, but also was very unusual in that he had a real sense of the strikes, sense of the, not just the zone, sense of the count and how to hit. He had a real two-strike approach. He understood where he was. Even at 19, it seemed pretty exceptional. He's just never quite translated that, especially to high batting averages, even with good contact rates, um, which maybe it's just a matter of quality of contact that he's making. But he's been okay this year. Like if Gliber Torres is playing solid defense for you at second and is a league average bat, that's fine. The problem is he's like the third best hitter on the team right now by I'm just looking at OPS plus, which is not ideal, but still like he shouldn't be your third best hitter. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think the strangest thing of all is that final result, the 303 OBP through 64 games for the Yankees. Yes. There are three teams that are worse. Is that right? God. Which three teams have a lower OBP today than the Yankees do so far this season? Oakland. Oakland is very close. Oakland is 305, oh, yeah. slightly Freaking ahead. Freaking Ryan Noda probably keeping, right? Got, <laughs> yeah, take out Ryan Noda and, and the A's are last. Yeah, it's not fair, but yes. Um, i trying to think of Miami? Nope. I'll give you one more crack at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't do this all day. Tigers? Yes, the Tigers are one of the three. Okay, okay. Royals? Yep. I like the Royals walk, though. Are they one of them? The Royals are in there. 7.2% walk rate, but a 294 OBP. Wow, because they had guys walking like crazy. Remember, they had that breakout year where Witt, Melendez, Prado, guys started walking a lot more in their system because of a real change in approach. I guess, well, you know, it takes time, can take time to carry over. So what, I only got two, you right? Two out of the three. You got one, one more shot at it here. Washington? No, it's the White Sox. Uh, three ah, AL Central teams yeah. at the very bottom of the list, all under Boy, 300 OBPs. that explain a lot? Oh yeah. my God, Yes. Yeah, and Cleveland's the team just ahead of the Yankees. So they have four four out of the five teams in the Ugh. division are bottom five in OBP this year. Cleveland is tough to watch for a contending type team, right? That that lineup that lineup makes me a little bit angry. Like you could be better. And it's it's a whole host of reasons. Number one is ownership just not committing enough. You know, they kept Jose Ramirez, which is fantastic, obviously, and working out. God, right now it looks like they might have made the right move trading Lindor because um, he hasn't been the same guy. But like, they should have spent ownership should have spent more to bring in some offense. But also, there's a lot of guys in that Cleveland system in the farm system who are not progressing on offense. As good as they've been on the pitching side, they're struggling with some of their more talented hitting prospects. Jose Tana, I just talked to a scout the other day who's, who's like, "What did they do to him? This is not the guy." He looked like he was a year and a half ago when he was top 100 prospect in baseball. Like by, I think by everybody, not just by me. And that's like that's a little concerning because they need if they're, if you're not going to go out and sign them, you've got to develop them. And they've done such a great job on the pitching side, um, drafting drafting the right guys, developing them. Guys get better in that system, but they have really struggled to match that on the offensive side. And they're in, it's a different situation. The Yankees, the Yankees can to some extent spend their way out of that. Cleveland can't because the owner won't. Right. Well, and they may have been bailed out by the Rockies. I'm curious to see what Juan Brito does now that he's been promoted to double A. They got Brito straight yeah. up for Nolan Jones. I got a good report on that one. Yeah. Uh, same same scout was like, 
they they did really well in that trade. Actually, I think the quote was they got hit for Nolan Jones. <laughs> and Nolan Jones has things that you could like about him. Nolan Jones doesn't suck. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Nolan Jones needed, but Nolan Jones to me would be in the category of a guy Cleveland did not help, right? Nolan Jones had, has some clear abilities and he really stagnated in that Cleveland system. They had a guy with a pretty good idea of the strike zone with the ability to hit the ball very hard that should have translated into power. Platoon issues that were probably always going to be there, but there was a good good base to work with. And instead, he just stayed this very passive hitter. And it's, no, the whole point of working the count like that is to get a pitch that you can murder. Yeah, and he could do that. He He can do that, yes. Yeah, career 13.4% barrel rate in the big leagues in the brief times he's been up with Cleveland and now with Colorado. So he can do damage. It's just a matter of getting to do it, choosing to do it almost is what it seems like in that case. Finally, they're playing him. It took two months before they played him. They called him earlier this year, didn't play him at all, which made no sense, no sense at all. Well, it's the opposite of what we were talking about with Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati's calling these guys up and playing them. That's all we ask, right? Just give these guys a chance. And Cleveland is just ultimate slow cooker. Loves, loves using the slow cooker. Here's your uh, baseball is weird uh, from the last 30 days leaderboard. I was looking at Team WRC Plus leaders. Rangers, not surprising. They've been great yeah. the last 30 days. They've Dodgers, Dodgers going to Dodger. The Marlins are on there. The Marlins no are kidding. third in WRC Plus as a team over the last 30 days. And it's not it's not just Luis Arias. It can't be. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way. I don't know where it's coming from. I look at that team and I think as great as the pitching is, they are two key bats away. And they're doing this with Jazz Chisholm hurt, right? He's not even playing right now. So how? How is this possible? Actually, you know what is funny? I actually noticed last night that because he hasn't played that much, so he's not showing up on leaderboards. But Jesus Sanchez is doing some things, right? This is... Yeah, there's a guy they got in from the Rays in a trade a, a long time ago who was very, you know, when he was first emerged as a prospect with the Rays, it was he was getting comps to Oscar Tavares, the late Oscar Tavares. He's only 25, right? And he's always been able to make pretty hard contact. He's still striking out a little bit too much, but they might have something there, um, which would be great to see. And obviously the bounce back from Jorge Soler is nice. I've always been a Soler guy. But yeah, it's just you keep look. I keep looking at them and like, yeah, where is all this coming from? Also, it's just offense just is just down, right? It's just down everywhere. But yeah, I mean, it's actually funny. Yuli Gurriel. I mean, the Astros probably should have kept him and not signed Jose Abreu. They're in a much worse spot. Gurriel is out out hitting Abreu by quite a bit, despite being several years older. It is kind of nice to see Gurriel. I mean, this could be it, right? He's thirty nine. Any year could be his last at this point be nice to see him go out on a slightly better note than his last year with Houston. Yeah, the how'd they do it? I mean, you covered pretty much all of it. Jesus Sanchez, who just yeah, came right? back from the IL, has been very good. So he's contributed good, to this. Yeah. Arias has been absurd over the last 30 days. 396, yeah. 438, 490 uh, with a 2.9% K rate, which is just... Yep. I think we had this this sort of connection where it was like we had Tony Gwynn for a long time and then we had Ichiro. Yep. And we kind of yep. wondered, is that player completely gone? Well, maybe it's kind of a, a little Ryaz or Stephen Kwan or someone else who's going to do it for a while. And they yeah. might not do it for as long as those last two guys did it because right. of other considerations. But it's cool to see players still doing similar things strikeout rate-wise to what those players were doing. 
teams are hunting for those guys in the draft. You're going to hear a bunch of names like that in the draft this year. Um, Jack Wilson's kid, Jacob Wilson at Grand Canyon, seven strikeouts, I think, this entire season. No, was it five this season and seven last season or something? Um, It's not a lot of impact there, right? You worry about the Nick Madrigal syndrome, right, where the guy never strikes out but doesn't hit the ball hard enough to do damage. And then pitchers are like, fine. I'll just attack you and strike some. But he's one. There's a player named Mike Bove, B-O-E-V-E, at Nebraska Omaha, who I believe also struck out in the single digits all year. And there are other guys with, with pretty low strikeout rates. Teams are, there are certain teams that are saying, okay, it's not just exit velocity. It's not just barrels. We want to see guys who can really put the ball in play. And obviously, you know, the way Cleveland has done this thing where they've got targeted pitchers with, decent secondaries, strike throwers, good deliveries, we can get them to throw harder. There are certain teams that think, well, we can get guys to, we can optimize the swing a little bit. We can get guys to improve their exit velocity somewhat. You're not going to take a Nick Madrigal and turn him into Aaron Judge, but you can get a little bit more if you like the core package. And there are teams that are targeting these high contact hitters saying, we think we can get them to hit the ball harder. And I'll be interested to see, does one of these guys turn into, okay, turning into a Tony Gwynn is a lot, but turn into a long-time regular who can do that, who can just put the ball in play a ton, hit a bunch of doubles. I mean, that's basically what Luis Urias is at his best. He's a singles and doubles hitter. And he because he never strikes out, he does enough with the singles and doubles to be a really good player. I, I'm, I love it. I, I like seeing players do different things like that. And I grew up with those guys, with that class of player. I would love to see him make him as a class, make some kind of comeback. I mean, you think about Yandy Diaz and how patient you know, Cleveland and Tampa Bay yes. were with him, and he's now finally getting to the power later. It's so easy to see when you look at Yandy Diaz that power was there. Was I was never- looking hit for power. You probably saw him like, like out in Fall League when I did or something years ago. It's like, oh, it's a big kid. He's going to, he'll get to it. And then he'd hit like three homers. And some- wow. It's like shades of Ryan Sweeney. I apologize to White Sox fans. I probably just gave you a fit. But, you know, Ryan Sweeney would hit the ball so hard in BP. And then in the game, it was like, thump, whack. You know, it's, where is the where is the power? But sometimes, yeah, it, it is. Sometimes it's patience. I, I You know, it's they don't all develop on our timetable, right? Sometimes it's, they develop when they want to. Yeah. Sometimes it's the third, fourth, fifth, sixth coach that you have that unlocks yes. something different that the previous coaches couldn't get to. And that's what makes this game so fun. I mean... Brian yeah. De La Cruz, another guy in that Marlins cluster. I'm looking at. How about that? He's yeah. a huge part of why they've been so good over the last 30 days. Six homers. He's kind of been their best offensive player during that span. Arias gets all yeah. the credit because we love guys that can flirt uh, with hitting for four, hitting 400. Of course. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm I'm all about that. But is Brian De La Cruz actually a guy they're going to be able to trust regularly with the bat? I mean, he was kind of uh, an extra player in Houston for a long time, didn't really get a chance to break through with the Astros and has done pretty well with the, an opportunity in Miami. He's up to about 800 career plate appearances, 278, 328, 441 so far and, and trending in the right direction. 13% better than a league average bat as a big league player. Be very interested to see if the power this year lasts. He has never hit, just doing the math here, 17 is his career his season high for homers ever. And that was 12 in AAA in 2021, and then five with the Marlins after he was traded. The Yimi Garcia trade. Where were you the day the Yimi Garcia trade went down? You know, and then hit 13 last year. He's already at eight this year. He would be on pace for 20 plus. 
He's also 26, not a not at all an unusual age for a guy to get to peak power. And if he's a 20 plus homer guy, he's always had really good contact rates. He's never, I'm going to take that base out one time. He has struck out over a hundred times in a season. Yeah. Could he turn out to be like an average regular for them? Yeah. I think that's within reach. I think it would be a sort of a late developer type who also maybe just needed an opportunity Good for the Marlins. You know, it's funny. We run down the Marlins a lot. Now, obviously, a lot has to do with the ownership situation there. And they've had some, certainly have had some high-profile misses on the Major League side. But they've also gotten a couple of things pretty right there. And God, picking up De La Cruz in that trade is, is you know, that has got to be one of their biggest wins. Yeah, that was a, a nice pickup. They're three and a half games behind Atlanta right now. That's yeah. it. Three and a half. I know. Yeah. I've said it before. The Pythagorean record run differential was bad earlier in the season. On paper, they're not a 35 and 28 team, but in reality, they are. So you can act like a team that's seven over 500 on June 9th, play a little bit differently, keep leaning to that young pitching. The Yuri Perez questions are going to persist throughout the year. How are they going to manage his innings? We'll see what they do as they get a little healthier in that rotation. But just to see the the Marlins in the position that most people thought the Mets would be in on June 9th, I'm enjoying it. Well, you know, what if, and who knows, what if Sandy Alcantara is more like last year's version the rest of this year. Speaking of a guy who threw a ton of innings last year, and you just worry, is that going to linger? But I mean, this this is a hell of a rotation. If you count Trevor Rogers as number six, right? He, Yuri Perez took his start. Alcantara won the Cy Young Award last year. He's actually got the highest DRA of the six starters. Luzardo, Edward Cabrera, I'm a huge fan. Just throws more strikes. He's going to be, a, I think, a number two in time. Braxton Garrett, who's really figured out how to pitch. He's never going to have premium stuff. And, and he's probably never going to be really more than like a fringe average starter, but pretty good as your four or five. Perez and Trevor Rogers, who I like a ton. He's out with a bicep strain. We'll see what that turns out to be in the long term. But he's at least shown flashes of being an above average starter. That's pretty good rotation. And if they're if the offense is a little better than we expected. They got a chance to at least hang around, be 85 wins, which puts you within spitting distance of a wild card spot to stay interesting. You know, it, it is. And that, that front office, they, they they need that. They need a season like that to show that things are headed in the right direction. Yeah, looks like the progress they needed to have in 2023 so far. Hope it continues. It's a fun story in the NL East where nobody expected them to make a lot of noise this year, especially we are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. If you're still on Twitter, you can find Keith at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with On Deck on Monday.